stats and he said, well, you've transacted a lot of money for online gaming. Do you know how much you've you've spent? And I said, 1,500, maybe two grand. He said, actually, it's, it's upwards of 50,000 pounds. I've seen it in Vegas where I remember someone um, that I was with sitting crying after, um, after a blackjack session where he had brought money out to buy an engagement ring and he blew through it all. And I just remember my mum kind of crying down the phone. She couldn't believe how much I'd spent. You know, she was saying that money's for my future and what if I can't work going forward. And, and that was acid, but I'm never going to bet again. Never, never going to gamble again. The biggest thing somebody can do is self-exclude. You know, if you think there's a problem, if you go to your local casino and you say, I want to self-exclude, they will put everything in place. Welcome to the Gambling Harm podcast, a podcast from Epic Risk Management, in which we'll be looking at all aspects of gambling harm, including the work done by Epic across various sectors. I'm Steve Cotton, and I'll be joined on every episode by different guests or guests from Epic's lived experience team. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Paul Finley, MBE, the first and probably only MBE we'll have on the podcast. <laughs> Paul, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your your journey with gambling? I wasn't really a gambler in my younger years. You know, I, I, I kind of think I placed the, a very odd bet, you know, the Grand National, maybe something, you know, FA Cup final, something like that. But I, I don't ever recall really going into a bookies growing up. Um, and I wasn't really exposed to a lot of gambling growing up either. You know, my dad, my mum didn't gamble. You know, none of my friends gambled really. You know, the, the odd spot, the ball and stuff. And, and my first real exposure to it was when I joined the army uh, I noticed that everywhere we went in the military all of the army barracks would have a bar and then off the side of the bar pub would, would be a huge room full of fruit machines and I couldn't get my head around that people would queue up and play them all day and especially round about payday it was just crazy and I used to just think it was absolutely bonkers that people would win the hundred pound jackpot and then put it straight back in you know, in my head, I was thinking, well, surely you've achieved what you wanted, and that was winning the jackpot. Why would you pay to try and win it again when you're not actually benefiting? So I used to think that was quite quite crazy. And, and again, there was, there was very much a gambling culture. When I was serving, there was always card schools, dice schools, dominoes, which I've never played, never really understood. Um, and it was never something that really interested me or intrigued me. You know, I'd play free card brag or I'd play kind of chase the ace when we were on tour and stuff like that just to pass time but never really for money or for for anything other than just a bit of, bit of fun and then in 2009 I was deployed to Afghanistan so this was my fourth operational tour I'd done three uh, tours of Iraq prior and I was with a reconnaissance unit out in the Helmand province and on the 22nd of May uh, 2009 so three months into the tour I was involved in an IED strike which resulted in myself losing my right leg and, and sustaining some other injuries, including a traumatic brain injury. And what that then meant was I was recovered back to the UK. I'd done a bit of time up in Selyoke, which is now the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, which was the, the military hospital. And then when I was fit enough to rehab, I was brought down to Headley Court, which was down in Surrey, which is the, the main rehab centre, which is now actually up in Loughborough. And it was at that point that I was really exposed to, I would say, large sums of money being transacted through gambling. And that was probably because at the time, a lot of the, the people, mainly mainly guys, there was, there was a few women there, um, but we were all in receipt of quite large 
um, financial compensation payments for our injuries. You know, I, I received a significant six-figure sum as a result of my injuries overnight. You know, so from somebody growing up in Glasgow, we, we, we know not having two pounds to rub together to all of a sudden having six figures in my bank as a 23-year-old. I had no idea. Nobody gave me any advice how to manage that or what to do with it. You know, just sat in a current account, earning no interest um, and, and waiting to be spent, really. And I remember sitting in bed one day watching um, this guy sat across from me who'd lost both his legs and he very rarely left his bed. And he was always on his laptop and he was playing slots, online slots. Again, something I'd never done. And I used to think to myself, that's a mugs game. You're never going to win. It's all rigged. It's all, you know, fixed against you. And I kept saying this to him. And I used to, and I had no idea what he was, how much he was spending, but I could see the stakes. And it, you know, it was two, three pounds a spin. And the spins were coming fast and, and, and frequent. And I thought to myself, that must be a lot of money being transacted there. And then one of the days he jumped up and he started screaming and he turned his laptop around and he'd hit a progressive jackpot. And I think it was a, it wasn't even the top one. It was like a middle silver or bronze. It was about 26 grand. And he was buzzing and he, he started obviously having a dig at me saying it's not fixing everything else. And and, um, and I just remember thinking at that time, you know, I, was, I wasn't doing too well with my mental health. I was suffering from PTSD. Um, I had come to the realisation that I was probably going to lose my career. And I thought to myself, do you know what, actually that looks fun. I want to do a bit of that. And I started, um, you know, I started an online account, same betting operator that he used, deposited £50. And before I know it, I was just playing online slots and online casino games, you know, free card brag, uh, Caribbean stud, uh, roulette, you name it, I was playing at blackjack. And I don't really have any memory of this, to be honest. A lot of it, it was all a bit of a blur over the space of probably four or five weeks. And I was on a lot of medication. I was on a lot of opioids at the time for the pain that I was in with my injuries. And I remember getting a phone call from my bank to say to me that, that they're worried that I've got this all this money sat in a current account and that I should speak to a wealth management advisor and have it moved into a more active account that could make my money work for me. And I said, oh, that's very kind of you, thanks very much. I said, but I think I'm okay. I think just leave it there. And he said, well, we're a bit worried about your spending habits. And I says, what's the problem with spending habits? And he said, well, you've transacted a lot of money for online gaming. Do you know how much you've you've spent? And I said, 1,500, maybe two grand. He said, actually, it's upwards of £50,000. So in the space of a month, having never had an online account and depositing £50, I'd transacted, you know, a significant amount of money. I didn't believe him. I called him a liar, hung up um, and called my mum. I said, mum, have I got any bank statements at home? Can you open them? Because I think I'm being, I think I'm being, being conned. And, you know, I thought it was maybe a fraudulent call. And I just remember my mum kind of crying down the phone. She couldn't believe how much I'd spent. You know, she was saying that money's for my future and what if I can't work going forward? And and that was, I said, right, I'm never going to bet again. Never, never going to gamble again. Um, and then I got introduced to poker, uh, but under the guise of it's not gambling. This is actually skill. And I've always been very good at math and I've always been very good at reading people. And before I knew it, I was very good at poker. And I took part in some online events and won some decent amounts of money. And then I played in the UK at the UK Open in the, U in, in the Hippodrome in London in 2011, which was my first major live event, and I won it. So I was UK champion and, again, won a significant amount of money. Um, the problem with me and my gambling was 
I don't think I ever lost at poker in terms of overall. I think if I looked at poker in isolation, I, I'd done very, very well. What my problem was is I was then taking my poker winnings and going onto the tables when I was on my break or afterwards. And I've got some significant wins to my name. And if you look at online, you can see some of the, the wins that I've had. And I didn't have anything to show for it. You know, and I remember winning about £15,000 in one event and it was streamed online. So people knew that I'd won that money. And then the next day I'm having to explain to my other half why the money isn't there because I've lost it on the roulette machine or blackjack or whatever, whatever kind of vice I found that day. So, so yeah, that's my, you know, that's my story. I've not, I've, I've not bet since 2019. Um, you know, uh, like, like, like all the lived experience people that will hear on the podcast, there is hundreds of anecdotes and stories that we could cover. Um, but that, I think that gives a flavor of my kind of journey from not really betting and, and also just kind of how quickly it can grab hold of someone. Um, and I know I was in a very, different position than, than than other people and I had the means to be able to pay it uh you know potentially if I didn't have the money I don't know you know I could have ended up in debt I could have ended up in some significant distress but fortunately you know I had that money and you know as much as it's something I've got to live with now I, you know I didn't have the the significant impact that some of the other guys have, have been through which I'm which I'm very thankful for and, and that brings us brings us on to casinos I think the theme of this episode is is casino culture um you know, as as someone who hasn't suffered from gambling harm, I think my idea of of what gambling harm is 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 probably or has been a little naive in a way that I, I associate it with sports book. I associate it with online gambling with people, you know, actors that increase in value gradually and things like so. that. But but you know, we're here to talk predominantly about about casinos and you know what is it about casinos that that can kind of get people in its grip and and can make it so difficult for people to get away from that. For me, it's a glamour. You know, casinos aren't, you know, bookies are quite dingy, let's be honest. You know, I've never walked past a book, a bookie personally, a bookmaker's on the high street and thought, wow, that looks, that looks amazing. You know, that looks really inviting. You know, they're usually on a high street that's quite derelict, a lot of boarded up shops. Casinos, on the other hand, are quite, quite grand. You know, you know, not all of them. You know, there's some probably backstreet casinos that aren't great. But, you know, if you look at some of the ones, you know, look, you look at the Hippodrome in London, you look at the Grosvenor, you look at some of the big casinos in this country, let's not even, you know, look at Vegas at the moment and, and over in the US and they, that they are worlds apart in terms of the aesthetics and the draw and the appeal to people. But there's very much a glamour around it. You know, Hollywood is is highlighted. You know, everybody's watched Casino Royale and The Hangover and numerous other films that kind of glamour how great it is. You've got attractive women around the table. You've got attractive croupiers. You've got men kind of, you know, having having um, kind of bravado and macho contests around who can place the biggest bets. Um, and it's exciting. You know, it is ex when you're in a casino and there's a roulette table that's running hot and there's 25 people around it and there's chips going everywhere, it is a rush. You know, and for a lot of people, it's a rush that they won't get anywhere else. You know, so I, I and it's a rush that, being honest, I never got online. As much as I gambled a lot online, it was very, very different. I was in a very, you know, I, I don't think I ever enjoyed my online gambling. It was a necessity. Um... But at the start, I definitely on enjoyed the casino side of things. Obviously, as as, as my, my my addiction kind of took hold, and then it came to a point where I wasn't doing it out of enjoyment; I was doing it out of need. And but I, but I definitely see an attraction. I can see why people doing it. And look, the reality is, a casino can be fun if you go in and you know your own limits and you know your own restrictions, 
and you go in, I don't know, you know, fifty pound in your pocket and say, that's all I'm going to play with, and, and you're dead, you're, you've you've got that commitment and you've got that discipline. It can absolutely be a fun night. You know, this isn't about me bashing saying nobody should ever go in a casino because of the risks. I suppose what my point that I'd like to try and get across is just that how easy it can be, it can get out of control, and I think that's really really important for people to know. And is there an element as well of you know that there are cash machines in casinos? People can withdraw money that. You know, if, if they are thinking ahead in terms of the digital footprint, what shows up, you know, there isn't a deposit to a, a, a gambling operator, is there? There's a withdrawal from a cash machine, which you could pass off as any manner of things on a night out, couldn't you? Absolutely. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends who work in, um, who work in different trades where they're paid in cash. And, and actually, you know, they say, you know, they've, 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 got, they've got a spouse at home or a partner or a mortgage advisor that might be analysing their accounts because they're going for some financial kind of means testing or whatever. Well, if they can pay cash, which you can't do online, you know, you can't do in a sports book. If they can pay cash, then that, that masks potentially the amount that they're playing through. And obviously you can do that at casinos. And look, casinos have got their own anti-money laundering processes and safer gambling and proof of income, um, you know, source of income checks that they do. But but not to the extent that that would potentially catch everybody. So there's there is that you know you'll have people that will go there because that's where they can go and be anonymous versus an online where you can't you know even to set up an online account now you have to go through certain checks. So you know there's people go to casinos for very very different reasons. Also, the reality is some people like the face to face. They don't trust the online side of things. They want to see the card being dealt, not just. Um, a virtual image of a card been turned over so you know it's a very I can see why it's appealing to a lot of people on the flip side I can see why people don't go you know they don't want to have to face somebody in person when they're losing bucket loads of money or when they're kind of frustrated at how something's going so you know it's it's definitely a di- it's, it's, a, it's a different dynamic and when you're in a casino on a Tuesday afternoon versus a Saturday night again it's a very very different dynamic you know Tuesday afternoon you've got those hardened gamblers who are very, very determined and, and kind of set in their ways on what they do. You go on a Saturday night, you've got Hindus and birthday parties and everything else. So it's it's a very it's a very cultural, culturally interesting place to go. And on that note, then I guess you know you talk about I guess the the raw emotion of winning that you feel in person. Did when you lost big in a casino, did it feel worse than than say? an online experience because you're in the room because people can see, you know, I know you were saying about poker and you're obviously a very good poker player in your time, but when you lose big, you, you, you can't mask that, can you? you? And, and you must've seen some people have similar fates where you, you can gauge that they've realized the extent of what they've lost. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it in Vegas where I remember someone um, that I was with sitting crying after, um, after a blackjack session where he had brought money out to buy an engagement ring and he blew through it all. You know, and again, this is someone who wasn't really a gambler and Vegas, you know, being in that environment, that casino environment, just he just got carried away. I think the, the other thing is you don't, it doesn't feel like you're playing with money because you hand your money over, you get your chips or your tokens or whatever, whatever you've got in front of you. And, you know, they're just, a, they're, they just become a prop. You know, and at no point do you realise how much you're actually playing with, I don't think. You know, especially when you're in that when you're in that kind of um you're in that zone. 
And I think that's dangerous because again, you get paid out in names. So if you have a big wing, winning roulette, you're, you're having a bunch of chips pushed across to you. You know, if that was hard cash, I think there'd be a lot more people going, oh, I'm done. You know, I honestly think people would go, right, look at that, look what I've just won. When actually they get it all, they probably don't even know how much they've actually won. And then they're just putting the chips back on the board again and, and waiting for the next spin. So, you know, it's definitely, for me, it's a realisation because it's instant. You've instantly lost that money. Whereas sometimes when you're doing it online, you don't even know how much you've lost because you're not seeing it. You're just doing auto deposits, you know, and, and it's only when you check your bank statement the next day or later that night or in a couple of days. And back, you know, back when I was doing it, it wasn't instantaneous. So your balance still showed one thing, but then you had your available balance, which was something different. So there was times when I would check my balance and go, oh, I've still got, I don't know, 2,000 pounds in my account. Well, actually my available balance was only 100 you know, so it's a very, very different dynamic. Um, and I've seen, you know, the, you know, the reality is I would never have seen somebody who's lost big online and how they feel because the reality is I've probably done it out of sight. I've seen people after a, a session at a casino just looking void, you know, as if they've lost the world. Um, and, and you know, that, you know, and to everybody that's something different. You don't know what, you know, I remember one of the, <laughs> one of the sessions I, I had, you know, I'd won about, I think I'd won about £14,000 on poker and then I'd ended up losing all of that, taking £1,000 out the bank, which was my limit that day. Um, and it was after midnight. And then at this point, this is when taxis didn't take cash and I couldn't get a taxi home. And I was in London and I had to wait for the first train. This is about three in the morning. I had to wait until about 10 past six to get the first train home so I could pay by, buy my ticket by card. You know, just so that that kind of the impact it can have on someone when you just that realization of I don't have any more money, and you know, it's it's hor it's a horrible feeling. You know, it really, really is when you when you kind of look back on it. Is there a case where there's you know it gets to midnight, and and the cash machines have queues? But yeah, is that is that how uh, it works? Yeah, hundred percent. 100%. So people are literally living on the limit of what they're able to, to withdraw. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's been a big change in terms of credit cards. You know, you used to used to be able to withdraw on a credit card, um, which obviously I think now there's limitations on that, which has made a big difference because credit cards, from my memory, didn't have the same daily withdrawal limits that the current accounts had. You know, and I remember my current account, one of the current accounts at the time had like a £300 a day. And then I went and changed to a paid bank account that gave me a thousand pounds, you know, which was probably one of the worst things I could have done, to be honest, because that gave me much more freedom to access uh, funds than, than I had before. So, but yeah, when you see them, you know, and it's secretive. That's the thing that I remember is when friends would say, oh, I'm just going to the toilet and you'd look round and they wouldn't go to the cash point that's right beside us. They'd go to one at the other end of the casino and you think, well, why are you... You're in a casino, you're gambling, you know, the, 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 you know, everybody knows why you're here. Why are you then being secretive? Because they, that tells me that that's because they don't want people to know what they're losing. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and that's, you know, when, when people start doing that, for me, that's, that's absolutely a signal that something's not right. That's a, you know, that's a marker of harm for me. We touched upon Hollywood earlier, and I, I think there is, and again, this is purely sort of anecdotal, but it does feel as if Hollywood almost portrays losing in a fairly glamorous light as well. Whereas I think that, you know, the difference between it for me is you watch something like the Louis Theroux program on Vegas compared Fantastic. with, say, yeah. you know, <laughs> compared with The Hangover and it paints two very different pictures, doesn't it? I mean, mm. one is people who literally lose everything and end up sort of sleeping 
you know, in the storm drains. The storm drains. Well, Ross Kemp done a documentary, yeah. and when you looked at that, where people, you know, there, there was one bit where, where I think somebody was walking around the casinos because people leave, you know, in, in Vegas, you'll see it, you'll walk up to a slot machine and there'll be, you know, 42 cents left in. It's not enough to play a spin and people aren't going to cash that out and take it to the machine and redeem 42 cents. And there was somebody in one of those documentaries who I think she said that she goes around all the casinos. She, so she walks, you know, Vegas is, it's a, it's a long walk between casinos. You know, casinos can span significant lengths themselves. And she would generate hundreds of pounds a day just on the, on on getting those kind of cents each time. And when he asked what she'd done, which went, oh, I gamble it. You know, so not that's what will feed me. That's yeah. what will feed the addiction. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I, I don't, that don't, I'm not sure that happens obviously here in the UK as much, but, you know, just that kind of how you can go to Vegas on a holiday and lose absolutely everything and come back with a, a, a world of hurt that you, you know, could take decades to undo. How do people pull away from casino culture then? How, how, how do people get, get away from its grip? Because it seems that it can be, as we've discussed, it can, it can be the sort of thing that just completely kind of, you know, envelops you, doesn't it? It can take over. I, th I think it's hard because casinos aren't as accessible as, as your mobile phone or your tablet, right? So you have to make a conscious effort to go to a casino, whereas your phone's in your hand majority of the day. You know, f for me it's about breaking a habit, like, like any addiction, you know, that's what it is. It's habitual. You know, you, you've got people who, you know, get up in the morning and have to have a cup of coffee, have to have a cigarette, have to whatever, you know, if you get to the point where you are getting into a routine of going, to, that's when I think you need to start looking at, you know, regardless of even if you're not betting big or you're not um, losing big, when you get into that kind of, routine of oh right it's a Thursday night so I've got to go to the casino and it's a Friday night I've got to go to, you know I've got to the casino Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday night you know whatever it might be that's when you know you you have to kind of draw that back and look being honest speaking to people at the casino you know we, we we've done a fantastic pilot recently with the Hippodrome in London and you know through Epic we've been training their staff and how to have real positive interactions and making the player journey the customer experience much smoother you know, and, and giving the staff the ability now to have those difficult conversations when a customer might not be enjoying their session or might be showing some markers of harm, you know, the biggest thing somebody can do is self-exclude. You know, if you think there's a problem, if you go to your local casino and you say, I want to self-exclude, they will put everything in place, you know, and the stigma that probably used to exist is nowhere near as bad. It's still there. Uh, but what I would encourage anybody to do is, is try and see past that. You are not the first person that's self-excluded. You will not be the last. You know, you probably weren't the first that day. You know, so trying to kind of look at it from a bigger picture, going, right, actually, this is a common practice and not see it as a failure or see it as something real negative. I actually see it's a positive. It, it, often, it reminds me of when we spoke to Scott Davis and his parents. Mm -hmm. And Scott was saying how his dad might be watching the racing on a Friday and Scott pops around and he's scrambling for the remote control because, and Scott's like, you know, you, you can watch racing. And I guess it's, it's good, isn't it? That people around you 
do keep an eye on you. And, uh, and but, but you know, obviously, absolutely. I, I have it in WhatsApp groups where the guys will be talking about the boxing, you know, and they'll obviously, you know, I've, I fancy Joshua in the eleven, and then and then and then you'll see the pause. And at one point, I actually said to one of my friends, I said, "Is there a separate WhatsApp group that I'm not in?" And they went, "Yeah." And I went, "No." I said because. Just because it was, it was like when I first got injured, I had friends, you know, I had a friend who was playing quite, quite a, a good level of football and he got an injury, he'd done his cruciates and he said, oh, but it's not nothing compared to losing your leg. And I went, it's all relative. Like just because I can't do something doesn't mean that you shouldn't or just because I've been injured doesn't mean that your injury is any less relevant to you. So, you know, I, I, I've got friends the exact same. And to my point, you know, I if I didn't feel comfortable, I would say it. And I know that not everybody's, maybe got that confidence or, you know, got got that kind of that, that forthrightness to be able to say, look, I don't feel comfortable with this, guys. But people understand. And I think in the whole, I've not got any friends that wouldn't understand if I said, look, I just don't want to be in this group. Or, look, when it comes to Cheltenham, I'm just going to remove myself because I know you're going to be talking about what you're, what you're placing for the week. It genuinely doesn't bother me. Actually, if anything, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm not a, a nag or a prude, but I'm just that voice of reason sometimes. You know, and sometimes I go, do you know what, mate? You've had a good first couple of days. Why not just bank it and take take the missus away on holiday? You know, why why risk it in the last day? Like you've already tripled your money. Like, is that not good enough? Is you know, so I can I can sometimes have those conversations without ever getting to the point of them feeling that they're being lectured or they're being they're being made to feel guilty that they're having a bet. Because, like I said, for for the ninety nine percentile in the country, they, they can bet responsibly, and that's that's absolutely fine. And as a final point, let's just talk a little bit about the casinos. And, you know, has it changed? Has has the culture changed? Perhaps not from, you know, from, from the gamblers, but from the operators. You, I know you do a lot of close work with them. Um, you know, have you seen improvements? Have you seen differences from when you went? 100% improvement. You know, people, operators, um, casinos now will have much more interactions. That wasn't a thing when I was going in. Like nobody spoke to me saying that you, you know, are you, are you sure you've, you've bet enough today? Like are you haven't, yeah. you know, are you, are you still enjoying it? You're are in you every should... Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, is like, this okay? Yeah. yeah, there was, there was, there was absolutely none of that. Um, and, and now there is, you know, when somebody's chasing a loss, the last thing they want to be told is it's time to go home because in every gambler's mind, the next spin, the next roll of the dice, the next horse race is the big winner. Right. <laughs> like that's, you're convinced of it. So, you know, nobody wants to, potentially miss that opportunity however the realization um there was a there was a couple of t- couple of instances where there was one where there was a, a poker dealer um, again at the hippodrome and, and i remember uh I, you know you would play in sessions so you would have you play probably for about two hours and then there'd be a 15 minute break you play for another two hours then there'd be a lot an hour's break or 45 minutes where you go and get some food dinner etc and i always remember it was a um it, it, it was a, a Polish dealer. And I remember she said to me once, she went, you're a, and I, I played in front of her. She dealt with me loads of times. And I remember saying to me, she went, you're a very different player after the break. I said, what do you mean? She went, it's as if you come back and you're on tilt. And tilt in poker terms is when you, something happens in the game that causes an emotional reaction. And you, instead of playing logically, you play with emotion. And poker's you know, much better if you play logically. And I said, well, I don't really know it. She said, something's different. And when I went home that night, I remember going, it's because I lost money. So I would be doing so well for the first two hours of the poker tournament. 
We'd have a break. Everybody else would go to the toilet, go and get a drink, go and get a bite to eat. I'd go straight to the tables. And if I won, I'd come back happy. Well, very rarely did I win because I would usually stay until I'd lost. That's the reality. The amount of times I would miss the restart, so I'd miss some of my blinds, I'd lose some of my chips because I wasn't there. And when I look back now and I think to myself, yeah, that was it's because of that. Now, I think if that conversation had evolved a little bit more and I got that realisation quicker, I'm not saying it would have definitely changed anything, but it might have made me think about things slightly differently. So having those conversations, and I thanked her for, you know, I went back and thanked her for it. Um, you know, and I started looking at, right, how can I play poker and not, you know, because I couldn't self-exclude because then I couldn't play poker. You know, so it was a whole... I started looking at ways that I could potentially evolve my my partner of play, um, which, you know, eventually ended up being that I just had to stop completely. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. It's thank been you absolutely enlightening. And, um, yeah, keep up the great work you do. And, like I say, thanks for joining us. Thank you.